My name is Joyce Penner, and I'm privileged to serve here with the health services team as well as marriage enrichment. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Mark 7, verses 31 through 37. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it, because people were overwhelmed and amazed. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Joyce. I, I definitely want to have these choristers sing almost every week. That would be that would be great. And this is a Sanctity of Life week, and we are in the second week of a, a, a couple of messages that I'm doing on the value of each and every human life. Value of each and every human life, and that includes yours, right? It's an encouraging thing. Now, I always find it hard to know how to do these two-part messages. Do you remember the old television shows that, that would start and say in last week's episode and show you snippets of the last week's episode? Do you remember those? Well, I'm going to do that today. You remember last week when we thought about the value of the human life, we really focused on Martin Luther King Day commemoration and especially the ability to see people for more than just the externals. Uh, in, his, in his great speech in, from Washington, D.C., where he would say that he longs for that day that we would not just see a person and judge them for the color of the skin, but for what's inside, the content of the character. And so at the very beginning of last week's message, I wrote this down for us. So look at it again. So if that's true, followers of Jesus believe that there is something sacred about every human life. And that's regardless of age. Uh, skin color, uh, gender, uh, how much school we've had, uh, whatever religious background we come from. We believe that. How, how much money we have, um, nationality, passport that we carry. We, we see more than that. It's something that should be a distinguishing mark of any church that says Jesus is the Lord of this place. We believe this, that every human being is of infinite value simply because that person is human. Do you believe that? And last week we looked at that text, part of it we had up on the screen mistakenly, but it was good to get to see it anyway, of um, verses 24 to 30 of Mark chapter 7, when there were two people who would have been devalued by the people in Jesus' day, and he did not. 
he valued them and he set them free. It was hallelujah text. And uh, the focus I wanted to have is this, was when I come across a human creature, what is the most important thing that I see? And I was calling us to have the eyes to see as Jesus sees. Do you you remember? Now, at the end of that message, I tried to summarize it. And this is what I said. So we who follow Jesus, we, we show respect to all people, but we don't show respect to all people simply out of political correctness. We don't do it simply because there are laws that require us to do it. We do it because we've experienced the grace of God. Amen. So we're grateful people who then go out humbly reflecting the ways of Jesus to all people that God brings across our paths. We see all people, all people as being human. So all people are made in God's image. And therefore, all people are potential recipients of the salvation of God. He doesn't give up on people. And they can know God's blessing as you and I know God's blessing. I think I need to hear that sermon again. So the day we come back again, and in our country, it's Sanctity of Human Life weekend. And now I want us to learn that the appropriate response to God's word is, yes, that we see people uh, with the eyes of Christ. But I want to point out that, that our response can't just end there. That Jesus not only saw the value of people, he got personally involved in the lives of the people he dealt with. And that brings us to the text that Joyce read for us. Uh, It's a great story. It happens in Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. And really it's a graphic illustration of how Jesus enters personally into the life of a person. It it reads to me like, like an eyewitness account. And I imagine that it was. I imagine that Peter, who was sort of the source for Mark, was there. And what we find Jesus doing is entering into the life of a man who had a serious, obvious disability... Uh, he, had, uh, he was hearing impaired, and it affected to the way that he spoke. And in it, we're going to see how Jesus entered personally and even physically into the life of this man. And so the focus I want to have today is uh, that our eyes are not the only things that should be changed, but this, that when I come across a human being in need, what do I do? Now, last night I did this in our Saturday service, and they said, this is the hard part. Because it's so hard to know what to do. And and I don't have specifics because every situation is different. But I think the life of Jesus shows us the parameters and at least the starting points for this. If you have your Bibles open, in verse 31, we're told that Jesus goes on a journey. And I'll tell you, it's it's a journey that Bible students have read about this trip of Jesus and have been confused about it ever since it was written. Because it just seems like it is haphazard. Uh, I think I have a map up here. Last week when, when, when Jesus healed the, the, the daughter of the woman, the daughter who had the demon, he was up in this area of Tyre. Uh, can you see it there right along the coast? So what we have taking place here is that he travels north. He goes up there toward Sidon, up toward Phoenicia. He then turns southeast and goes to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. He passes down through the section of the Decapolis before he going back up again to the south side of the sea. There are some people that say that that Mark, who wrote this, must have been confused about the geography. Why would anybody make a convoluted trip like this? It would be like uh, me me telling my wife, Chris, oh, Chris, I'm going to go up uh, and visit our son Brandon in, in Santa Barbara. 
And then she sees me heading south towards San Diego. Then she gets a call. Lynn has just seen me. And she said, Chris, did you know I saw Chris, uh, Greg heading from San Diego? He was heading out east toward Palm Springs. And Chris said, what, what's going on here? And then she drives over to her workplace. He works down at Podley Property on South Lake. And as she crosses over the 210, she sees my car going past as I'm heading along the 210 to get to the 101 to head up to Santa Barbara. What, what, what would she think? Either that I'm horribly lost or my, my GPS system isn't working, or that I have some important people that I know I have to meet that forces me to go on that trip. And that's what we have here. Jeez, you know, the trip that he takes is not one step short of 120 miles. He, he does it on foot. People estimate that it took him eight months Eight months to take this trip, and it was almost all in Gentile area. Remember, Jesus, you know Jesus was Jewish, right? And that's where they told his, his, his fellow community people told him not to go into those areas. They, there were a lot of untouchable people over there. There's no way you can spend eight months there and not touch people. And, and, and he only spent like three years of ministry. So that it says something so significant about it. It must be that there are people there that he valued that he was going to change their lives. Uh, if you remember back in the early part of Mark 7, so many of his own people were just obsessed with not touching defiled people, staying away from the wrong kinds of people. And there's no way he can be in this area without always coming across the wrong kinds of people. And I'll tell you what we learn from what he does is something that's, that is quite radical about how people who follow this Jesus should treat those in the world around us. So here's my goal today. I want us to move just from the point of, we, of this value of seeing people as having value all the way to the fact that it should change the way that we live. Uh, Jesus prayed for hurting people. He agonized in his heart. You're going to find that happen. He was willing to touch hurting people, and then he changed their lives. And I think he still does it, don't you? So let's see how he does it. How did Jesus go about this? If you look at the little text, it's in verse 34. I call it the upward look. Even Jesus recognized that there was a real dependence upon his father. So in verse 34, Jesus looked up toward heaven. Now, when you read... The accounts of Jesus in the Gospels, you cannot miss the point that repeatedly, especially in tough times, he pulled aside simply to be with God the Father. And this really confuses a lot of people because a lot of people say, but wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus was one with God? Why, why does he feel a need to pull aside and to gain strength from being with the Father and to gain wisdom from being with the Father? And the best answer that I can give is that Jesus was not only fully God, but he was also fully human. How, how to grasp that will expose our minds, but the Bible teaches it. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, it tells us that Jesus, who was in very nature God, was willing, out of love for us, to empty himself. And what does that mean? It's hard to, but at least that means this. That Jesus, while he became a, a man, when, when he was born and lived in this world, he was willing to empty himself of everything that would have kept full humanity from being possible. Because he was and is fully God and now fully man. And at least this, at least practically this, 
that when Jesus faced some very challenging times, he felt a deep need to pull aside and to know that God the Father was there, to know his strength and his wisdom. And I'm just telling you, if Jesus sensed that, how much more we? Now, in this particular text, I think, just, just think, put yourself into the shoes of Jesus. He was facing opposition from his own people. His disciples were absolutely confused. They didn't know if they agreed with him. Now he was in this foreign area where people didn't know. And now he was going to encounter a man who was hurting and whose life was ravaged by the effects of sin and disease in this world. When you face those hard times, this is what he does. He takes a moment and looks up to the Father to know that God is there. It is the upward look in which we say, I need your strength and I need your wisdom. And I'll I'll just tell you, there's so much I think we need to learn from this as we live in our world. Um, Unless we try to just hide away, we're always going to have challenging encounters with people, right? Do any of you have any of those ever? Sometimes it's a person who God just brings across our path that has a huge need, who has a problem, or sometimes I say is a problem, (laughs) Uh, Sometimes it's one of our family members that's just become so difficult in the family or is facing, you know, a huge physical issue or or an employment issue. Sometimes it's a person at work. It can be all sorts of people. And, And what I think we need to learn from Jesus is this, that in those moments, one of the things we need to do is to stop and, and look up and acknowledge that God is present, and even though I don't feel sufficient for the task that God is, and to ask Him to direct our words and to direct our lives. You remember the series I did last summer from Exodus? I called it Practicing the Presence of God. I think we need to learn to do that, to learn to know that wherever we are and whatever we are facing, God is there, and to take a moment to acknowledge it. It's a discipline, and it's one I'm seeking. I'll tell you, I'm still in process with this. But I'm really seeking to make that a part of my life, that when a, a person comes to me with a need or with a problem, that, I, that I'm seeking to stop for a moment, even if it's just a few seconds, and say, Lord, give me wisdom to know what to do. Maybe this will set you free. If, if there are times when somebody comes across your path, you don't know what to say or do. Ever had that? Sometimes I just pray, Lord, people say, he's a pastor. He knows what to do. I have no idea what to do. So, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me not to say something dumb. Help me to have your, your eyes, your heart. Uh, direct my lips. Lord, I don't know what to do, but you do. And, and you place me here. So use me. Uh, it's one of the things I learned from Jesus here. As we deal with people, it, it, we need to have that upward look to know that God is there. We're not alone. Second, there, there is this inner groan of Jesus. And here I want us to think just a moment about the heart that Jesus had for people who were affected by the wrongs in this world. And in verse 34, you see that phrase, he looked upward, but it was with a deep sigh. Now, what I want us to do for a moment, I, I want you to think about the heart of Jesus. I'm not a psychoanalyst. Others can do, others can do this better, but I can see a lot of things in him. And I see the compassion of Jesus in this episode in two ways. One way is in verse 33. You can see where he took this man who was disabled, uh, couldn't hear, he couldn't speak well. And instead of making him a spectacle in front of everybody, he pulls him off to the side. 
faith healers in our day want to make sure that they get glory for this thing and that person becomes a spectacle. Jesus pulls them off to the side. And I started pulling back and thinking about this a little bit and just thinking, this man had been in his community a spectacle all of his life because the particular disabilities that he had were things that couldn't be hidden. And they had no impact upon his intelligence and certainly not upon his value before God. Um, in, in one of the churches I served before in Chicago, we had a, some, a wonderful uh, ministry among those who were hearing impaired. And one of them who was there, her name was Doris, Uh, talked to me about this once. She said, Pastor Greg, it's humiliating sometimes to be thought to be stupid because people can't understand me. People have to stop so long to listen. And I'll tell you, she was brilliant. I I just want you to know this. And yet, I think that when I heard her, I said, I think I understand what's happening here with Jesus. Jesus knew this man had been a spectacle his whole life. He didn't want him to be a spectacle anymore. In this, Jesus wanted him to know that he valued him as a person worthy to just spend time one-on-one with. And if nothing else today, I want you to go home with this. That wherever you are in your life, whatever disabilities you might have, whatever challenges you might face that everybody knows about, even whatever failures, whatever failures you might have had in your life, God does not view you simply as a problem. It's not how God sees you. Jesus sees each human being as unique and precious simply because we are made in his image. And and I think he sees us for what we will be if we'll only ask him into our lives. Do you see that? What he's going to remake us to be. So we see it in what he did. But I'll tell you, this heart of Jesus is shown even more in the fact, this word that's used, this word that's used in verse 34, that when he saw the man, he sighed. The the word really is a word in the Bible for a deep inner moan. It's an expression that we see or experience something that causes pain in our hearts. Have you ever had that happen? You see something and your heart just hurts. There's a number of times in the New Testament, the gospel stories, that this sort of inner response of Jesus happens. Happened in John 11 when Lazarus had died, you know, close friend of Jesus and, and his sisters were hurting. And he uses a similar term that Jesus hurt in his, in his life. Uh, and what I, what I think is happening here, you know, uh, the Bible tells us that everything was made through Jesus. And when he was done with what he'd made, everything in this world was very good. And, and the apex, the height of the creation was human beings. And when he saw human beings and the effects of sin and injustice and disease and evil upon people made in his image, I think his heart hurt and he said, this is... This is not the way people made in the image of God should experience life. I, and he came to begin to make things, begin to make things different. Now, I almost think, knowing he knew he was going to heal this man, he could have almost had the attitude, Chin up, old boy. Wait until you see what I'm going to do with you. <laughs> but that isn't the attitude that he had. He, he recognized, appreciated the pain that this man had had. And, and I, I see that where you and I are to have the heart of Jesus in this, we come back to places like the Sermon on the Mount and he says, blessed are those who mourn. We mourn our own sin and we mourn the effects that we have upon others and we uh, mourn when we see people hurting. 
Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are willing to use whatever we have to show mercy to people who are hurting, even if they've caused their own pain. So I see here in Jesus that, that his actions, it begins with a look upwards. Lord, my Father, you are here. Give me strength. Give me wisdom. It moves into our hearts. Do we really feel what other people feel? You know, church people, especially people like um, your pastor, and I, I'm thinking most of us who really take the Bible seriously, uh, we've developed a reputation in our world of being angry about the evils in our world and sometimes speaking out against them, and, and, and that should be. To ignore evils in our world, such as children in the womb being aborted and not to be angry, that's, that's wrong. We, we need to identify when there are things are wrong in the world. But I'll tell you to do it without our own hearts hurting for all that leads up to that. And to recognize that there's so many, I just see them, so many, for example, teen moms that just don't know what to do. And when... We enter into a relationship. We need to look to God to say, Father, how, how do I see as you see? And then we need to look in our hearts and say, Father, help me to have the compassion of Jesus that I won't simply condemn, but love and be ready to walk with. Which brings me to the third thing he did. I called it the shocking touch. This, this willingness that Jesus always had to enter in. Look there at verse 33. So Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. He took spit and he touched the man's tongue. I'm just telling you, it is hard for me to over-exaggerate how radical the actions of Jesus were. I mean, if, if you were defiled by even being in the presence of a Gentile or somebody who was diseased, look at what Jesus did. I was trying to see how I might illustrate that today. I, I won't take somebody on the first or second row. And... No, no, Chris, she's saying, no, 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 you're not going But can you imagine on a Sunday morning if, if, if I were to call up a person that, that everybody in the community knows uh, perhaps is, is an AIDS victim. And I walk up there and I, I, I grab the ears and I, I exchange spit. I think you'd be screaming and yelling, what on earth is our crazy pastor doing? And so we look at this and we say, what is Jesus doing here? And I see at least two things. He's communicating with that man. And he's identifying with that man. Um, my same uh, hearing impaired friend that I mentioned earlier uh, told me that when she reads this thing, she thinks she sees a bit of a, a primitive form of sign language. You know, I don't know if you, in some of our services we have uh, ASL, uh, American Sign Language. It is so beautiful. I know sometimes when you get bored with me speaking, you can just look over there, and when we have the sign language going, it's kind of a combination of art and dancing. It's just so beautiful language. Well, they didn't have that in Jesus' day. But when you read this, can't you see that there's some communication going on here? Uh, putting the hands in the ears. I know you have a problem with your ears. Uh, the taking of the tongue. I know you can't speak. Uh, the look upwards. But I'm going to approach God in heaven to make a difference. 
as I read this, it, it, I, I feel like, I, I think this is happening here. A part of what Jesus is doing is he's trying to take away the fear of the man. Can you imagine this man, this Jewish rabbi coming up and grabbing him by the ears? But really, when you think about it, he's trying to take away, I think, some of the fear and, and so that he will know what I'm going to do is, is to be a blessing. And I, I, I want to learn from this. Because sometimes when we have people stand in church, when we're saying, if you're new to church, stand, you wonder, what on earth is this group of people and this big church going to do to me? Uh, or when I call you to come up and pray, they say, what, what do those people look like up there that he says, well, pray with me? Somehow we need to communicate to say, you know, we're, we're, we're on this journey with you and uh, we want to get to know you and want to walk with you so that we can become more of what God, you know, so somehow I need to learn from this communication piece. I think Jesus is doing that. He, he wanted to make sure this man knew that he was doing what he was doing out of compassion. But it's more than that, isn't it? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's more than that. Jesus is also identifying physically with this man. So he didn't just see he had a problem. And, and I want to deal with him from a safe distance. Jesus enters right in with, with a man that most of his own people would have considered ritually unclean. Uh, Touching his ears, touching his tongue. I was, I was talking about this last Tuesday with a group of our younger pastors. Do you know Eric Noyes? I hope you'll get to know him. He's working with our student ministry staff. He put me onto something here that I think is so helpful. So if you're not with me, you've got to tune in because I think to understand this text, what he said is right. He said that Mark 7, this text, beginning with 31, it's not the only time you have one of these strange journeys. Uh, two of the prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, took two journeys like this that just seemed so convoluted. And you can read about them in 2 Kings chapter 2. And when they were on those journeys, it necessarily brought them into contact with hurting people. And just one of the places, if you want to read through 2 Kings, happens in chapter 4. Uh, there, Elisha comes into contact with this well-to-do woman that I'm sure many people thought things were okay, but really her life was in great, great pain. Because she'd never been able to have a child. And in the ancient world, that was the hardest thing for people. And so she had always shown hospitality to Elisha. And so he prayed and God gave her a child. So joy, right? But then in 2 Kings chapter 4, the child died. She was in such agony. You can imagine the weeping and the wailing that happened. She runs to Elisha. She falls down before him. She had put her little child into one of her rooms. The corpse of the, of the child was there. She, and, and Elisha, first of all, it said that his heart hurt. So it's similar to Jesus, the, uh, the empathy with what's happening. Then it says he, he looked up to God in prayer. So also the seeking of, of God's help. But then as you keep reading the story, you see he goes in. It's really amazing to see what happens. He goes into that room where the, where the, uh, the body of the, of the, the dead boy was, was, was resting. And he... he He gets onto the bed, hand on hand, foot on foot, eye on eye, mouth on mouth. Now, in that ancient world, he would have defiled himself. You weren't supposed to touch dead things. He he was fully identifying with, touching in every way that which was dead. And in that identification and through the power of God, the boy was raised to life. Do you see it? Jesus, in this journey that he's taking into areas of people who hadn't known God, is brought into a contact with a man who was hurting because of the ravages of disease and sin in the world. 
And he is willing to touch and to identify and to make a difference. Really, really it's what Jesus did on the cross. Taking our place. You know, bearing our sins. Uh, living the life you and I should live. We haven't, right? Being willing to identify with us. Taking our place. Dying the deaths we should have to die, but he does in our place so we don't have to. So that when our faith is in him, we have forgiveness of sins and the beginning of a new life and something to carry to our world. Hallelujah. I tell you, those are the kinds of things that need to guide us on the Sanctity of Life weekend. Because not only does Jesus identify with us, he sends us out as he's working in us and through us to make a difference in our world, which is the last point I just want to make. I called it the life recreating word of Jesus, his power for our remaking. Uh, Look at what happened. Jesus said, Ephatha, Aramaic. And Mark had to tell us what it means. Be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Uh, People who love the Bible have always seen echoes of Genesis in this text. Genesis 1, remember God spoke, let there be light. There was light. Here a word was spoken. Be opened. The ears and the mouth were open. They, They see the beginning of that. And at the end of this, verse 37 The people says everything that he does is very good. Echoes of when creation was done. You remember what happened? It was this is good. It's very good. Well, Jesus had come in and seen some things in the world he had made that were not very good. And he begins to make them very good again. You see, I see what it's saying. Do you? Is this clear as mud? That Jesus is the one who has come into this hurting damaged world to begin a process to make things new i've called this whole series this too shall be made right it is that great promise of the bible that jesus came not just to forgive our past but to remake the future so not just ours but all who trust in him every tribe and language and nation and not just people but everything eventually all creation will be made right and when he's done John Seacrest prayed it. No, no more war, more, no, no more disease, no more, more, no more deafness, no more difficulties of speaking, no more unclarity, no more destruction of children, no more disregard and disrespect for people. All will be made new. He has come to recreate. And, and the Bible even demands that we see this. Interestingly, it's not just Elijah and Elisha that this text points us to. It also points us back to a, the great prophet Elijah 800 years before had talked about a day when someone was going to come into this world who would make everything new. And it's in, in, in Isaiah chapter 35, right, verses 5 and 6. And there, one of the words that Isaiah uses, magilalos, is only used two times in the Greek Bible. Only two times in the entire Bible. Isaiah 35 and one other place, and it, it means a person who can't speak well. Nobody's listening. The other places here in Mark 7. It's what it's saying is the one that the prophet had said is going to come, who's going to save us and change us and make things new. It's Jesus. That, that's, that's what he's saying. Look at, look at the words of Isaiah chapter 35. 
when this one comes, then will the eyes of the blind be opened. Then the ears of the deaf will be unshackled and the tongue of one who cannot speak. There's the word, my good love us, will shout for joy. And so if you've come and you see all sorts of things wrong in your life, it begins by bringing Jesus into your own life. He will forgive what is there in the past. He will cast it as far as east is from the west. But he won't just leave you there. He'll enter in and begin to make things new. Sometimes we wish it would happen really fast, don't we? But it's a long process. And as he is making us new, he sends us out to do his work. It's always such a shock to me that he's still still working on me. But as he's working on me, he gives me the opportunity to be involved in his work here. And he does the same for you. He sends you into your workplace. He sends you to your family and says, I will go with you. But uh, as I go with you, you need to make sure that you have my eyes, my heart, my willingness to enter in. And then, even though we may not have the power just to say, be opened, uh, we can use the resources he gives us, and he will do more than we could ever imagine. We, we can pray, and he still does do miracles. Um, a part of the way he does miracles is that he puts us in a church family like this one, and we pray for one another. James 5 says, if you are sick, come and ask those who are the elders of the church to pray over you, and you'll see God's healing. And we do that. We do that. It's a part of his remaking in this world. So we need to continue to have this one uh, at the center of our lives, Uh, Daily, when we see ourselves walking back, say, come back in and start all over with me again so that tomorrow can be more than yesterday was. Don't you long for that to happen? And he promises, I will not give up on you until I have made you all that I created you to be. But we can't stop there. We've got to go out. And it's through us that so much of his love and compassion is shown. But for that to happen, we must have his eyes. We must see people as he sees people and not just hold people at arm's length because of whatever has been in their lives. They're the wrong political party. They're, they've done all these things. They have this, we don't see that way at first. We, we acknowledge that one's there. But we start by seeing people as Jesus saw them. People made in the image of God and it can't end there. Then we must enter in. So when we know of children in our world being destroyed, even before they're born, we must weep and, and become their advocates because they often have no others. But at the same time, when we see their moms not knowing what to do with this unexpected pregnancy, we need to enter into a relationship and, and care and help and let people know they're not alone and not merely condemn. One of the reasons I love the Living Well ministry is that it sets up relationships of people to people. And they need more people to be involved. And at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to go and say, and just going back and talking with them at the table doesn't mean you have to show up tomorrow, but you can begin praying about whether maybe that's the place where God would use you to do some of his Christ-like work.
or in our STARS program or in our teaching in our Sunday schools or so many places where God sends us. Again, when we see people like Jesus saw over these last couple of weeks, we've got to have the eyes of Jesus for what we are seeing. People of infinite value made in God's image. But then we also have to have the courage to go ahead and and act in ways consistent with it. And and I know it's costly. We sometimes go on convoluted trips like Jesus did. (laughs) Sometimes it takes a lot of time. Sometimes it takes a lot of hugging. And it always takes a lot of praying. It always takes a lot of praying. But when we do these things, when we step out there and we even say, look up and say, Lord, you brought this person across my path. They're so different from me. I have no idea what to do. And we simply step in and do what Jesus did. We will see the presence and glory of God. As Randy and Edie Nelson told me once, there are missionaries in Thailand, that when you step out and do these sorts of things, you never doubt that there is a God because he keeps showing up. Um, Last week, I started this two-week series with some thoughts from Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. It was preached August 28th, um, 1963. Several months before, he was sitting in a prison in Birmingham, Alabama. Did you know that? And he wrote a letter from that prison, and it was written to people like me, but I'm going to include you in it too. And it, it called us to go beyond mere seeing to actually stepping in and acting. Listen to what he wrote. My dear fellow clergymen from prison, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the Ku Klux Klanner, but the moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. So Jesus saw the wrongs. He saw the value of people affected by sin, whether their own or others. But he did more than see. He entered into a relationship with those he saw. He does it for us. Hallelujah. And he sends us into the world. He tells us to see as he sees and to engage as he has engaged. What does a life like that look like? I just want to tell you, keep your eyes open. Just keep your eyes open. It energizes every relationship. When people cross your path, uh, look up and seek God's help. Check your heart. Make sure that you love as God loves. You're not just condemning. And then take that step and enter in and engage in the name of Jesus Christ with people. And then see what he will do. See what he will do. To his glory. Amen.